Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. But tonight, my message is titled The Fragrance of Worship. You know, I'm married to a worshipper. I'm married to a worship leader. And, but you know, worship is not just about songs. Worship's not just about the, the three or four songs that we do before the Word. Worship is our life and uh, there is a fragrance to worship. You know, the Bible speaks about our lives being a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Because in the Old Testament, there always had to be a priest that was set apart from the Lord that would go in and mediate between God and the people because there was this huge chasm called sin. And God couldn't look upon sin. So He had to appoint a priest that would go in and atone for the sins of mankind. And that, that priest had to go in at, through many, many rituals and present a sacrifice worthy to God. And the fragrance that went up, it was either pleasing or not pleasing to the Father. They would literally tie a rope around the priest's ankle because if the sacrifice wasn't pleasing, he would be struck dead in the presence of Almighty God. This fragrance of worship, this fragrance of the sacrifice of praise is something that I think the Western church has taken a little bit familiar with. We've become a little bit familiar with the presence of God and we haven't understood its holiness because God in His grace has allowed us to enter the courts of heaven with no curtain anymore because what Jesus did, He became our ultimate mediator and He pulled that chasm apart and He said, now boldly you can enter my presence. Think about that for a moment. Yet some of us maybe take it a little bit for granted and God's wanting this sacrifice of praise, this fragrance of worship. You see, they say, scientists say that your sense of smell has the most powerful ability to to bring a memory back to you. Smell is an incredible thing. If you grew up in school and, and as an adult, you can smell school supplies. It will take you back to when you were in a classroom. When you smell fresh crayons and pencils, you think about school and the experiences. I know for me, when I I got married, I wore a particular fragrance and then I didn't wear it for a while. And I remember putting it on a few years later and Henry was like, that smells like our wedding. That I remember that smell. He doesn't like mandarin or um, whatever you call those cuties, those clementines, we call them mandarins, because as a child, he vomited so badly eating so many mandarins that now he can't even peel a mandarin for our children because the smell evokes all that emotion about vomiting. It can either be good or bad. You know, when my father passed away, I remember going into his closet and wanting to take a tie and maybe a sweater and a handkerchief so that I could have it at home and just have something to remember him by. And I remember as I was walking through his closet, I caught a smell of his aftershave on a jacket and I went close up to that sleeve and I smelt it and it just brought back every memory of when he would hold me, cuddle me, speak to me, be close to me. And I remember the feeling I got, it was like he was present. Smell has a very powerful powerful uh, thing to draw us back to a memory. I want to talk about a story 
that brings this memory back to Jesus. I think every time we talk about it, because it was about a fragrance that was released in a room in John 12. And I want us to read from John 12, if you have your Bibles, verses 1 to 9. And it says, Six days before Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I love this story. Just a side note, I said this in the other service, but you know, Jesus, when he came, like I said in the beginning, he came to break the mold and to do everything opposite. And here he is, and he gathers 12 misfit men as his inner circle, as his mighty men. Who in their right mind as a senior pastor or a leader would ever put a thief who had an issue with money in charge of the offering? <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Yeah, he, this, is, this is why I love Jesus so much. Because in His grace and loving kindness, He always puts on you who you are in Him, not who you are right now. And I love that about Jesus. And that's actually how we got our name for our church because God spoke to me and He said, you know, I allowed my disciples to belong before they even believed in me. And you need to build a church that isn't having to cross all the boxes and check all the, you know, all the right things before they can come in and be accepted. But anyone is welcome because everyone is my son. They just don't know they're my son until I reveal myself to them. We don't have to get right to come to God. We come to God and get right. The disciples came in His midst and their behaviour changed in the presence of Jesus. That's why I love when any person walks in our church and we say, you're home, welcome home. That's just a side note. But here we've got this story of four people in this beautiful scene. We've got this beautiful scene of Jesus having a dinner in His honour. You know, we do this week in, week out. We have a meal around the table, which is this, in Jesus' honour. We're worshipping Him, we're honouring Him, we come before Him, we open the Word and we acknowledge how wonderful it is to be around Him. Here they are. Lazarus has just been raised from the dead and they're having this dinner and there's four people in this story. And when I began to read this story, I began to see that they're like a, a, a prototype of a person in our churches. Like each people, there's four people. There's Martha, there's Lazarus, there's Mary and there's Judas. And I remember the Lord asking me, He says, which one are you? And I'm like, sorry, Lord, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, which one of you out of Mary, Lazarus, um, Martha and, and, and Judas? And I want to just unpack a little bit about these four personality types that are in the church right now, the church across the world. First, we have Martha. Martha says here that she is serving. 
She's serving. But in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, you see Jesus saying, Martha, Martha, why are you anxious and troubled about many things? He says, look at your sister, what she is doing. She's sitting at my feet. She's chosen what is better. And there's so many people in the church that are working their way to earn a place with Jesus. They're hiding behind their works. They're hiding behind stuff to do because they're anxious and troubled about many things. They don't know what to do. So they're just busy, 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 busy. But I'm working for Jesus. I'm doing everything for Jesus. I'm doing all the right things. Jesus, would you notice me? Jesus, would you love me? Yet there's a a brokenness in them that causes them to hide behind a facade of busyness. And we've got religious workers doing so much to earn God's approval. And God's saying, no, 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 I'm here. You're not gonna be with me for much longer. So come sit. We can be in the very presence of God. God could be moving and you can miss what God is doing because of a function. And I'm not saying that we all just veto our responsibilities and just sit for hours in the presence of God. But there are gonna be times where Jesus says, stop and come and sit at my feet and stop hiding behind your works because your works will never earn you a place with Jesus. You already earned it before the foundations of the world. He chose you. He actually purposed to die for you before you were even created. Says it in Revelation. So why do we strive? Why are we busy? Why are we works driven? And, and see, what tends to happen with the Marthas is they start looking at the Marys and judging the Marys. And they're like, mm, you know, they should be working a little bit harder because I just seem to be doing all the work in the church. If the church didn't have me, it would just fall apart. And we start getting entitled with our positions and we start looking at those that are broken before the Lord and wanting to encounter Jesus. And we put a judgment on them because now we're comparing how much we love Jesus through what we do. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Everyone serves out of, a, out of an overflow. But some of us hide behind these works all the while, while Jesus is there in the midst. I'm busy and I'm anxious. And we've got so many people in the church. It's an epidemic how many Christians are riddled with anxiety in troubled minds. Yet we're in the presence of Jesus every single week. Do you think there's something wrong there? It's not on Jesus' part. Some of us need to actually let go and sit at the feet of Jesus and allow Him to go deep into your heart. We need to not worry about what other people think and we need to allow Jesus to come in and bless us. Then there's Lazarus, I love this. I'm gonna take a little bit of poetic license here because here we've got Lazarus who's just been raised from the dead, pretty incredible miracle. Imagine being that guy. Imagine being Lazarus and every party you talk about, yeah, I'm the guy that got raised from the dead. Pretty amazing story. I'm the guy that was totally mummified and then you know I walk out and Jesus unravels me and here I am. You know, here I am, I'm alive. And he's probably loving life, but here he is in this passage of Scripture, just reclining, reclining next to Jesus just chilling out, just enjoying His presence. 
But you know, I know so many people in church, they get a, a, a miracle happen, they get saved, they have an encounter with the Lord and then they end up just staying there reclined by Jesus, doing nothing. And they just enjoy this and they're going, yep, give me more, give me more, give me more. And we become junkies for the presence of God and we do nothing with it. We're just reclining, we're just lazy, we're just, you know, it was funny, I was talking to this girl, uh, we went and spoke at this college thing the other week and she said to me, yeah, God's just spoken to me about soaking for the next five years in the presence of God. And I just went, and what about if Jesus comes within that five years? What on earth have you done? What do you mean soaking in the presence? While you're soaking, I'm seeing revival in Nashville because I'm getting up every day and serving people. We don't need five hours or five years of soaking. And this is Lazarus reclining, chilling out, becoming a consumer-driven congregant member. Give me, give me, give me. What have you got for me this week? entertain me. Is the preaching going to be good this week? Is the program going to be good this week? Because I need more. And then we become fat sheep that actually don't know how to go to pasture and eat for ourselves. Can I just say a little side note, but your pastors are not here to feed you. Do you know what your pastors are here for? to shepherd you to green pastures. A shepherd doesn't make a sheep eat. A shepherd leads the sheep to pasture and the sheep eat for themselves. It's not Pastor Ben and Caress's job to feed you. They will inspire you to go home and feed yourself. They will enlighten the Word that will cause an appetite so that you go home and seek the Scriptures yourself because first-hand revelation is gonna change your life. Second-hand revelation, you're gonna, hmm, I don't know. But when God speaks to you yourself, it changes you from the inside. So when I hear the term, I don't get fed enough or it's not deep teaching. No, that's religious spirit right there. Because you're a sheep, you eat. Imagine the shepherd getting blades of grass and going, here you go, there's a blade of grass for you, blade of grass for you, blade of grass for you. We'd be here for eternity. I'm getting a lot of side notes tonight. (laughs) But we just don't want to be this comfortable waiting to be served. Kingdom of God is about freely you've received, now freely give. And then we've got Mary, my favourite, my favourite. You see, we sometimes look at this story and we talk about her extravagant worship, that she opens up this perfume and she comes before the Lord. And that's a beautiful picture of worship. But I tell you, it, it means so much more when you understand the time and the era. See, back in the 33 AD, women were not even counted as people. They weren't noted. They, they were very, very put away in a corner. They, they were good for two things, procreation and making dinner. Some people still believe in that. But anyway, that's another sermon. So, but, but here we have, we've got this, this issue where Mary is a woman. Now you could never come and sit at the feet of a man, let alone a rabbi or a teacher. You see, in the story of Ruth, 
when she went and lay next to the feet of Boaz, that was a risky move. You don't do that unless you were beckoned that way. Let alone come and put your, you know, kneel at the feet of a man. Women weren't supposed to touch the opposite sex. In church services, women weren't allowed where the men were. They were separate. So to have Mary barge into this male-dominated room where really only Mary and Martha are there because it's their house, for her to come in, it was already scandalous. For her to come to the feet of Jesus was unheard of and unprecedented. Let alone get this bottle of perfume that it says she broke open. I don't know if you've ever broken a jar of perfume and it's gone everywhere, but it's a bit messy. You see here, I love the fact that she doesn't care. She doesn't just dab a couple of drops and do one under the, you know, neck and on the wrists. And if you're a lady and you really want to go all the way on the backs of your knees so that you get the all over fragrance. No, she breaks the whole thing. And she pours it and you see, this is even more a prophetic act because you see in the Old Testament, it was the prophet that would anoint the priest with the oil. So she was actually a female prophet and she didn't even know it, but she was anointing Jesus who not only was going to be our high priest that mediates for us, but was also going to double up as the sacrificial lamb. And she's a prophet and she's being prophetic, unheard of, unheard of. A woman to do that, yet she barges in, she breaks open this bottle, she pours it over Jesus and then she goes one further and she starts to wipe His feet. She's crying tears on His feet and then she lets down her hair and she begins to wipe His feet with her hair. Now again, women didn't let out their hair unless they were in an intimate situation with their husbands. So everything right there was awkward. It might've even looked a little bit seductive. It might've looked uncomfortable. The men may have cringed a little bit like what is going on here? But you see, the thing I love about her is that she didn't care what anybody else thought. She went after Jesus because she's like, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. He is in the room and nobody else matters when He is in the room. I'm not gonna care about these people. I'm not gonna care about my peers. I'm not gonna care about what men think. I'm not gonna care about my sister judging me. Jesus is here. And if you knew what Jesus had done in my life, you would understand that I wanna be able to pour myself out. You see, it cost her everything. She didn't hold back her worship. She didn't hold back her offering. She gave everything. You see, all the thing about a fragrance that is pleasing to the Lord is not so much the the burning or the smell, but it's the heart behind it. You see, Jesus wants our heart because you can give lip service to Jesus and your heart be rotten on the inside. And the reason I can talk like this is because that was me. I could give you all the worship. I could look the part. In fact, I was a backing vocalist for years and I would be praising Jesus and looking the part, yet my heart was riddled with anger and resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. I'm sure when that worship went up to Jesus, it wasn't pleasing to the Lord. 
sometimes we just go through the motions. Sometimes we think that it's okay. No one else will really see what's inside of our heart. But I tell you, the only one you want to be honoring in worship is Jesus Christ. The only one you want to care about is Jesus Christ. The only one you want noticing you is Jesus Christ. And we've got Mary. She's scandalous. She's prophetic. She's anointed. And then you've got Judas watching on and he's a little bit annoyed with her. You see, the religious spirit will always be annoyed when somebody pours out pure worship. It agitates because it highlights where you're not at. It highlights where you're not. And so it agitates you. And it's almost like when somebody's free and you're not, and you're like, gosh, what is it about them? They so annoy me. Or they love themselves, you know, but it's actually a godly confidence. They're so arrogant. No, actually, they just know who they are in Christ. And because you're so insecure, it reveals your insecurity. And so we're in churches and we're, we're a little bit annoyed if we see a person come forward and maybe lay prostrate on the floor. And we're like, actually, we had that happen when we first started the belonging. And this woman came and she was prostrate on the floor and she just lay there. And she was weeping. And I had a woman come up and, and come up to me and said, Pastor Alex, you need to deal with that lady. She has a demon. And I said, no, darling. I said, she doesn't have a demon. And the, new, I, the reason I knew she didn't have a demon is because I watched three or four children come and lay their hands on her and begin to weep as they prayed for her. And I knew God was doing something. He was healing you see, sometimes when something happens out of the ordinary, right there, it will judge. That's your litmus test to where, you, where your heart is at. Because if you watch somebody come and, and, and do something out of the ordinary, you can never judge a person's actions because you don't know what God is doing in their lives. You see, just like I, you can't judge a person if they're just standing there and not responding. You have to know that God sees the heart. And we don't want to teach people how to be parrot worshippers. We want people to worship out of encounter and out of a true heart that is in spirit and truth. And here's Judas and he, you know, this is the guy that walked with Jesus for three and a half years. This is Jesus who watched the feeding of the 5,000 and actually participated in the miracle. This is Judas who saw Peter walk on water and Jesus walk on water. This is Judas who saw blind Bartimaeus get his sight. He saw the dead girl raised to life. He saw Lazarus come to life. He would have been around Jesus when they sat around the fire and John laid his head on his chest and Jesus would begin to share his heart and reveal the future and talk truths that would have been mind-blowing. This is Judas who had access to Jesus 24-7. And yet you can be a leader in this place. You could be a worship leader in this place. You could be a pastor in this place and you can be desensitised and familiar with the very presence of God. And don't think you're fooling anyone for a second because it's not people you should be caring about. It's Jesus Christ that will see right into your heart. See, Judas may have had a, an offended heart, a familiar spirit, a, a broken heart. 
See, the thing that baffles me is that those disciples were with Jesus three and a half years and even when he resurrected, the Bible says that some worshipped and some still doubted. So you can be in the very presence of Jesus and be dis- disconnected. And God's calling us to connect with his heart, to know that he is the only one who gives you what you're looking for. We all think Judas is horrible, but you know, I think Jesus, Judas had an encounter with Jesus because we all look at the fact, yeah, but Alex, he betrayed him. He was wicked in his heart. And he, but you know, I look at the fact that he hung himself and I think that shows great remorse. He didn't know what to do with the fact that he just sold Jesus out. I think Jesus was so kind to him that he realised, gosh, I've been so unkind to Jesus, but he was never unkind to me. Even when he knew he was going to betray me, he washed my feet. He did the most intimate act with with me, knowing that I wasn't in a good place, knowing that I was going to betray him. You see, this is the Jesus I serve. This is the Jesus why I never take a moment to worship him for granted. This is why I get up every morning to declare the power and presence of Jesus, because I know what he's done for me. And I've never, ever forgotten where I came from. I've never forgotten that he forgave a broken girl, riddled with fear, riddled with rejection, riddled with an eating disorder, riddled with just everything that's self-loathing. And yet I met this Jesus and He said, I know who you are. I predestined you to be here. You're everything that I ever dreamed about. Rise up and be the daughter that I've called you to be. And so I can't help but worship Him. I can't help but speak about the love of Jesus. Call me crazy, I don't care because I'm going to get to Jesus one day and I'm going to be the one laying prostrate before His feet saying, thank you. Thank you that you didn't give up on me. Thank you that you loved me even when I pushed you away. Thank you that you pursued me even when I wanted to go my own way. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the only thing that ever brought me true security. see, Jesus is calling us to say, I'm here. And I love that he defended her. I love that he said, stop right there. Don't you dare pick on her. And he defends her and he says what she has done is an extravagant act of worship and it will be talked about forever. Because I go after the heart. I don't want your lip service. I don't want your performance. I don't actually want it. It's actually detestable. It's a stench in his nostrils. You see, when we play church, it's actually a foul smell to God. God would rather us be hot or cold, but nothing in between, because that's a stench to God. And he's saying, I'm calling you to fall in love with me like Mary. You see, I remember coming to Nashville and I was a broken person when I came. Had a few war wounds through the life of ministry. I'd become a little bit professional. I think I fell in love with ministry more than I fell in love with people. 
I began to do the thing that I thought you needed to do. I could get up, I could preach, I could quote scripture, I could, you know, rally up a meeting, but I tell you what, my heart was broken. And Jesus sends us 8,000 miles across the earth to break my heart again. And all he asks me, he says, Alex, I ask you to do one thing. I said, what do you need us to do in Nashville? He says, love people like I love them. I'm like, yep, that's good. What do you need me to do? He says, no, you've missed it. Love people like I love them. And then I thought about that for a minute. I thought, that's actually a big task because some people are unlovable. (laughs) Some people are annoying. But you see, something shifted in my heart because he began to heal the broken parts. He began to heal the familiar parts. He began to heal the judgmental parts because what was actually happening, I'd been wounded by people. I'd been wounded by ministry. And so what I began to do was just get a little bit bitter and a little bit judgmental and a little bit critical. And Jesus was saying, where's the young girl that I saved at 11? Where's the young girl that I delivered from an eating disorder? Where's the girl that I healed from barrenness and gave you two beautiful children? Where's that girl that literally just used to be dying in in the presence of God, just broken before, where is she? And I said, I've become Judas. I've become a Judas, Jesus, and I repent. I repent for my behaviour. I repent for my, my churchiness, my religious spirit. I've become a Pharisee and I didn't even realise it. It caught up with me. I remember going to church one day. We were looking for a church and I just couldn't find one to settle in. And Nashville has a very religious spirit over it. And you go into church and you really wonder where the Spirit of God is because they've bought into a formula. They've bought into performing and a show and couldn't sense the presence of Jesus. And I was aching and aching for a moment in worship just to break me. And I get to this church and it's in a theatre and everyone's drinking coffee and eating donuts. And I'm like, what is going on? Have we just lost the awe of God? It's like we're going to a movie theatre. Let's just sit back and relax and watch the show. And I was just broken. I was like, really? And then they start worship and it's bluegrass. And I'm like, what? But banjo, ba bang, ba bang, ba bang. I'm like, I can't stand the banjo. And then I was like, Alex, get out of that mindset. Just love. I just felt the Lord said, just worship me. Just worship me. And everyone's seated. No one's even standing up. Everyone's sipping their lattes and eating their Dunkin' Donuts. And I was just sitting there and. This song comes on that is just powerful to me. It's mighty to save. I began to sing it. I was like, Saviour, who can move the mountains? My God is mighty to save. He's mighty to save. Forever, author of salvation. He came and he, He conquered the grave. He conquered the grave. 
And my heart was like, yes, you did. You saved me. And I remember at that moment, everything in me just wanted to stand up and give glory to God because no longer was I caring about my surroundings. I was listening to those words and I was was worshipping my Jesus like it was just me and Him and everything in me wanted to stand up. But I was a bit nervous because no one was standing up. The crowd had just become familiar and I felt God say, well, are you gonna stand up? I'm like, I want to God, but no one else is standing up. He's like, well, who are you worshipping, them or me? And I went, oh, well, I'm standing up then. And I stood up and I, I said, I'm going all out. And I could feel every eye on me. You know, when every eye just goes on you, like, and I was like, I don't care. I could feel it. Adrenaline was pumping. And I'm thinking, I'm leading the way. I can feel it. Everyone's going to stand up with me, and there's going to be this crescendo of worship. And I look around, and no one is standing up, not even my husband. <laughs> and I just went, I don't care, God because you're all I want, you're all I need. And he said, Alex, if you're prepared to look foolish for me with men, I will trust you with my presence. See, there's a Scripture in Psalms, it's my husband's favourite Psalm. It says, who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? those with clean hands and a pure heart. And we've got a lot of Christians with dirty hands and impure hearts playing the game. They're the Judases that look the part, that if to look at them, you're like, oh, he's a disciple, you know, he's with Jesus. Yeah, their heart is murky. See, God called us to Nashville to clean the murky waters because they've become a little bit toxic. Worship's become a business and an industry. We've lost our first love. And when we started the basement, we only ever did two songs. We did Heart of Worship by Matt Redman and we did Cornerstone by Hillsong. Because you see, we just wanted to strip it all back and make it all about Jesus. And I remember when Henry put his hands on the piano in our basement, there were seven people. We didn't say anything. We didn't do anything. Yet he just put his hands and began to sing. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. And everyone got on their face before God, weeping from the core of their being. People got delivered. People got set free. People got their marriages right. People were in addiction and they got free of addiction. These are worshippers. These are musicians. These were artists. Because when we moved to Nashville, I said, God, I'm not coming 8,000 miles to play church. I won't. It's got to be real. Because Jesus, the real Jesus, changes our life the real Jesus and how dare we cheapen it by making it something that is a stench because I want my fragrance to smell 
living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to Jesus, the one and only. I really don't care about what you think of me. I don't care. I don't care for the opinion of man anymore. I just don't. Because you can't give me what Jesus Christ gave me. You'll never give me what Jesus gave me. I believe that Jesus is calling us to be a pure-hearted church. He's calling us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And you know, the Greek word truth in that, that segment means raw and real. It actually means showing everything, Jesus everything, being naked before Him. Truth, not a false perceived reality of what a Christian should look like. You see, we think holiness is being perfect. It's not. Holiness is being broken before Jesus to say, I can't, you can. So I surrender my life and here's all of me. Here's every bit of me, warts and all. But I know when I'm with you, I'll change. And I won't want to touch what the world wants. I won't want the fame. I won't want the notoriety. I don't want the accolade of men. I just want you. And so tonight, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I believe God's calling His church. And I'm gonna ask you the same question. But I want you to see it as Jesus asking you, which one are you? Which one are you tonight? Are you Martha hiding behind your works? Busy, busy doing for God, but not actually allowing yourself to be. You're so busy in your careers. You're so busy in your family. You're so busy doing stuff because you don't, you can't bear the thought of just sitting for five minutes because all the junk's gonna catch up with you. So you just keep filling your life with more and more and more and you come to church and you just fill yourself up with more doesn't make you closer to Jesus maybe you're Lazarus and you're a little bit of a consumer Christian where you're just reclining give me give me give me maybe you just want to be in his presence but you don't want to do anything with it you're always receiving but never releasing it's become stale and a bit toxic because it's all about you and not about others. You know, I remember someone saying that your salvation is about you for five minutes. As freely as you give, now go freely give it away. Or maybe you're like Judas. You've become professional. You've become cynical. You've become jaded with the things of God. You've allowed people to affect your walk with the Lord greatest thing I will ever learn and have ever learned is that people will never determine my relationship with Jesus. A leader is not representative of Jesus. If they fail me, it doesn't mean Jesus failed me. Because we're human, we're going to fail. But my relationship needs to be rock solid with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you are Mary and you're broken before the Lord and you just want more. And if that's you tonight, I want you to stand to your feet to respond to Jesus. 
to consecrate your life again and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for the thing that I've made it. God, I, I wanna be a person that if I can't even stand up here in this room, then how am I gonna stand up out there? How am I gonna be the one that stands up in a room where everybody's sitting down because I'm more concerned with people's opinion than I am with your opinion? You see, Mary found favour with Jesus at that moment because she did what pleased Him, no one else. And I just want us to raise our hands as a sign of surrender. I want you to see Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.